0: What's on your horizon as a business owner? Are you ready to harness your expertise and create a new revenue stream doing what you love? When you're ready to take that step, the thing that will paralyze most people is this question. What should I focus on first? And once you've decided where to focus, the question becomes, how do I do that? That's why I'm so excited to bring you your next chapter starter pack giveaway I have partnered with nine other experts to provide you with resources to focus your efforts as you write your next great business story. And all of it is free. All you have to do is go to robbysamuels.com forward slash giveaway to get your copy of these resources. Are you ready to start your next business chapter? We are ready to help you. Go to robbysamuels.com forward slash giveaway. Now onto this week's interview. Today's guest believes sales is about helping people, not being pushy or icky. For over 20 years, as a CEO of Changing the Sales Game, she has helped business owners, leaders, and sales teams build powerhouse organizations using her high-energy and heart-centered approach to creating a profitable sales team culture. Her teaching, transformational tools, and content ensure that business owners and salespeople grow their revenue streams through enhanced communication skills. She shares her process in her book, ESP, Easy Sales Process, as a speaker and as the host of two podcasts, Changing the Sales Game and Enlightenment of Change. Please join me in welcoming Connie Whitman.
1: Thanks, Ravi. I'm so excited to be here and I'm excited for our conversation.
0: Let's have fun and let's share
1: some good content.
0: Me too, Connie. So thank you so much for joining us from your place in New Jersey, Uh, hop, scoop and jump from where I am here in Pennsylvania. As you know, the the show is about uh, building communities and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you have the skills to lead?
1: So leadership for me, if I it, you know, I, I guess if I had to pick one word, it would be inspiring, right? So, but but here's for me really re- leadership or good leadership or quality leadership is about taking someone from where they are and then moving them to where the organization, you as the manager, whatever need them to be, as well as keeping their career path in mind as well. It's got to be that win-win dynamic, right? The manager wins, I win as the leader. The employee wins, they have that career trajectory hopefully upward, and the organization wins because you have engagement and you have employees who just love showing up every day. So, leadership is about inspiring teaching and I, I really, again, moving them from point A to point B and then to point C and then to point D and, you know, keep pushing them forward in a healthy way
0: I really love that you're centering their experience it's not just what you the leader wants but it's really understanding what what is their desire what is the career path maybe in front of them Um, how did you first start to realize you had some of these these aptitudes these these mindsets
1: So when I started my sales career actually 40 years ago, so I'm dating myself, um, the first meeting I was selling insurance, I had graduated college, went and got my licenses, my Series 7 and my insurance health and all of that. And I remember sitting with my first client after I was allowed to go out on my own without a sales manager who, by the way, we could talk about that later. I've had the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've only had the bad and the ugly as leaders when I was in corporate world. So that we could talk about separately. But So my first client, I remember sitting with them right in sales and they needed life insurance. However, they did not have the budget to support it. So what would have happened is sure. I could have made the sale easy peasy. They really knew they needed it. Six months later, I still would have gotten paid. The the program would have the life would have life insurance would have lapsed and he wouldn't have had the life insurance plus through a few hundred dollars away. So I sat and I educated them on the husband and wife on how to get on a budget. And then about nine months later, I actually sold them the insurance. And so the reason I'm telling you that you're thinking, well, that's sales, it's leadership because this is the cool thing that happened. And you're all about networking and growing, right? That whole um, bandwidth of people that trust you. How do we, how do we rally that and grow that and build that momentum? So what happened is this, the blue collar guy, right? Not a ton of money, put him on this budget Buy the life insurance within a year, of selling insurance, I did not need to make cold calls anymore because I grew my business through that love, that care, um, that leadership, that teaching, right? Moving them from point A to point B. And I lived off of referrals. So he became one of my best referrals. And I always started with, let's look at your budget so you could buy the life insurance and it will stick for the longevity of, and then we did disability insurance and all of the other stuff as well. Um, So that's when I, and I was in my twenties, Robbie, like, what the heck did I know? But I realized that coming from that place of love, care, respect, integrity, whatever you want to call it, it mattered. And I just grew my network and that just never, that never changed. So 20 years ago, or actually 21 years ago, when I started my business, how do you get, how do you generate business through your network, through people who already know, like, and trust you, they're going to support you. And then you just generate referral after referral after referral. So 21 years I've lived off of referrals. I never had to make cold calls or anything like that.
0: Yeah. I think the fact that you were serving the integrity that was at the center of that conversation, which was a, you know, a sales conversation. I just had a moment the other day with someone who was, you know, being, The antithesis of who I am. He was like, you know, I always close in the call. I don't chase people. I don't follow up. And I'm like, Ooh, but like people make really bad decisions when you, when you force them into like a, you know, now or never, um, they don't, they don't commit, they don't have the budget, they don't have the bandwidth, you know? So I I really appreciate, and that's part of the reason I knew I wanted to bring you on, but I want to, I want to dial back the clock a little bit, uh, to even earlier. So if you were, in your twenties, able to have the presence of mind to not just go for the sale based on your training, but to be empathetic, to listen, to guide, to teach, and then to make, not just so, make a sale that would stick. And that led to all these your referrals. What were you like? I don't know, in the playground or in high school, like, were, you, <laughs> were you, were you, were you organizing things then were you running for office? Like what? I was the boss, of course. Who were I did. you? Yeah, <laughs> it was Connie, little Connie. <laughs> I just, I'll, I'll share a very funny story,
1: right? And this is so true. I was probably five or six, maybe seven years old, and I remember we, you know, we were four kids: my brother, my sister, myself, and then I had a younger sister. And my dad worked, you know, extensive hours. So my mom was home with us. And I remember they wanted to go to the pool in the summer with my mom's cousin and my, my second cousins. They were going to take us for the day. And, and they're like, mom's not going to let us do that. So they're like, you go ask. I always had to go ask. So I was like, I don't right, go ask. So this is how I presented it, right? Logical. and I, I, So I said to my mom, mom, so I'm going to present something to you, but I don't want you to respond. I want you to think about it. Hear me out. And then I want you to respond. And she'd be, so she so she's probably hysterical inside saying, look at this little person, like using you know, persuasions, persuasion skills on me. So I told her what we wanted to do and why it would help her. Because of course, what's the, see, this is why I'm good in sales. I was like, you'll get the day off, you know, we'll be good, right? All of the parameters that she would be worried about, I was addressing them up front. And then I, and then, so she would look at me and she'd go, I go, oh, don't say no. And you don't have to say yes, but don't say no. I want you to think about it. And she would go, all right, maybe. And like, all right, I'll take the maybe. Because 50% of the time we would get the yes. And inevitably, 50% of the time we'd get the yes. So going forward, every time we wanted something, my siblings would go, you go ask. That's how I think I started my leadership career.
0: (laughs) I love the idea of you being like, you know, kindergarten, first, second grade. Uh, (laughs) Even though you have older siblings, they're like, Connie, you're the one who's got the persuasion (laughs) skills. Um, painting the picture of like, what's in it for you. Um, thinking ahead about like all of her objections, <laughs> like <laughs> handling them ahead of time. I mean, like, Clearly
1: I'm an old soul, <laughs>
0: classic, classic sales, uh, maneuvers there to, they, you know, and also as a parent, if my kid came up to me and laid that out, I I would have a hard time just saying a flat out no, cause I'd be wanting to nurture that. I mean, did other people besides even your parents like recognize this i don't know this way of showing up in the world and nurture it and support it instead of a lot of a lot of young girls get labeled you know if if they know their mind you know little boys are leaders little girls are bossy so were people sort of supporting and holding you up even even though you were showing up in this way that maybe was unexpected
1: yeah it's fascinating because i think my demeanor again you you know you don't realize this now 60 years old i i kind of look back and understand what my strengths were but the other thing and and I had an aunt that I've seen recently she lives in Arizona so I don't get to see her um, my godmother she's in her 80s and we were talking and she said you know you were always smart you listened you learned you absorbed and she goes you have this wonderful energy but not exhausting energy she said you had energy that was welcoming for people and that people wanted to be around you so that was a nap I didn't and I looked at her and I said Oh, wow, you see me. And it, she said, being around you feels good, right? So I think I now, did I develop that? I, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that because that's kind of always how I was. So, Robbie, I think that that was part of my charm, if you will, as a child. I never over. Stepped. I tried to get the buy-in and the collaboration versus my ways the right way. So I think that I charmed people because I was genuine. And and when I say that I don't I don't think I was necessarily charming, but I think I was genuine and people responded to that. So I went to Catholic school as a kid, and I remember the nuns always saying, "Hey, Connie, would you handle this project?" I was a kid. I mean, we moved out of Newark and went to a public school when I was 11. So we're talking. I was. A kid, but the nuns always chose me. They trusted me. They knew I wouldn't any shenanigans in the hallway or anything like that. So they knew I would take the project seriously, but that I could get people to motivate to do whatever it was that the project required. They trusted me to build that team. So again, I look back now that you're asking, I've never thought about this, to be honest with you. So it's fascinating to see those core skills and how people do nurture it through the years that you don't even realize you're being nurtured.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is the, wherever you go, there you are. I mean, you've always, you've always been you uh, and 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 that it wasn't squashed at at a young age means you got to develop it further and further. You, you, you had your 10,000 hours by the time you were 11, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you tried it, you tested it, you did it, it worked. You see what worked, you, you know, Uh, the charm offensive. That's, that's kind of how I'm thinking of this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> You're like using your charm. Um, but I love this, that this idea of who you were and how you showed up in the world was appreciated and respected at, you know, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years old. Did you have a sense at 12? So it sounds like you went to public school at 11. So at 12, did you start to have a clear sense of where you wanted to go with life? Like, was there a, I want to grow up to be a blank and like, what, what, what at a young age did you think you were going to do?
1: Interesting. Um, Actually, no, it wasn't sales. I didn't even know what sales was, right? I had no idea. So I wanted to be a teacher, which is ironic because then, of course, when I went to, to college, I I did not want to become a teacher like in the public school system that I knew was limiting for me. And listen, I, I have many friends that are teachers and I think it's a wonderful profession. It just wasn't right for me. So here's the, here's the ironic thing though. Fast forward now in my career in sales and being a sales leader, right. You know, running, running a division, um, my employees couldn't do, I knew their skill level, right. I was in the, I was in their offices all the time or their branches. I worked for a bank they couldn't do what the, the corporate objective was. So what do you do? I would teach them, coach them how to do whatever the, the skill was that was required. So it's funny because I often look back and think I knew I had to teach. It wasn't the traditional teacher, but I knew I had to teach people and whatever that meant. And for me now, it's sales.
0: Yeah, I can see the through line of that skill set, and that desire to, to help people. to help. I mean, this goes back to your definition around leadership, like see people Help them then grow and get further along in their own path, which is towards some unified objective that you know about and that they're contributing to. Uh, you went into a very—it sounds like—traditional uh, office setting, you know, corporate environments. It's there. We—I mean—it's maybe less safe now, but we we thought of it as like the safe choice. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, the career path was laid out for you, the checks kept getting deposited into the bank account, the health insurance. Um, at what point did you realize that was no longer for you? Because you know that there's there certain there's certain people who immediately bristle at, at what it is and others who sort of find their way that this is no longer fitting. It sounds like you were there for quite a bit. When, when did it start to feel? not like the right and where you're the same company the whole time, I guess. Um,
1: No, no. So uh, I started when I first started, I worked for two different companies, then got into um, because of my licensing in the 90s, banks started introducing the alternative investment. So I was in a financial advisor because I had my series seven and all of that. So I worked for two companies. Then I worked for this bank and I was there for 13 years. Here was my and Robbie, I don't know why it was four years and I was out four years and I was out. Um, I, they no longer served me. There was no longer growth. Management shifted. Remember I said the good, the bad, the ugly. I only saw the bad and the ugly, especially in the early part of my career. Um, but I was a doer. I was a worker. So to me, I always made the money. No matter what my manager did, even if they weren't coaching me, it didn't matter. I figured it out. Um, Then when I got into the banking industry, I loved it. I really loved it. And I loved the relationships I built with the retail division, which are the branch people that you go to. And that's how I got promoted into the executive position because they saw me, really, really good at what I did, but the branch folks were talking to the higher-ups, unbeknownst to me, that she's so good. Our customers love her. She's so honest. I was growing their revenue, meaning their buckets of uh, deposits and stuff like that, because I would convince people, but in a good way, that you're only getting that percentage here, bring it here. We could give you that percentage. Talk to Robbie at the branch. So I was always cross-selling back to them Um, And growing their business. So fast forward, right. I got promoted into the executive position. And then in the nineties, this, unfortunately it's happening again. um, I see it in the industry. Banks started going through what I call merger mania. So like every other day, did you have a job? Did you not have a job? Who do I have to fire it was horrifying for me. Um, so I remember we had two babies at home. I had been, again, with the bank 13 years, so 19 years in corporate. We had two babies. We needed my income. You know, New Jersey, East Coast, super expensive to live here. Needed my income. I came home and I said to my husband, I can't work for the bank that's buying us. They're horrifying. They are non-customer service. I, I won't say the bank. as I refuse to work for them. So my husband said, what do you want to do? I'm like, I want to get fired. He was okay, and then what do you want to do? I'm like, I want to start my own business. We're married 30 years, so my husband, he, he's a good dude. He gets me. Um, and I, but here's the thing. I knew about five years before I started my business, Robbie, I had a business plan and everything written up. I knew what I was supposed to be doing, and that was teaching sales and banks. My corporate clients are mostly banks um, just because of my financial background. So I knew five years before I had the plan, I showed the plan to my husband and he goes, go see if you could get fired. And that was 21 years ago.
0: <laughs> go see hysterical. if you get fired. That's a great phrase. <laughs> go see if you get fired and let's see what happens. I mean, amazing that you had that kind of support in your you know, immediate family, like having a partner like that, but also that you foresaw five years earlier, which is you were not unhappy. Nope. The merger mania wasn't happening. You were clear-minded when you started to work on a business plan. So, did you, did you start actually doing any side project work, or did you wait until th- you were really clear this this corporate gig?
1: Yeah, I waited till I got fired.
0: You waited till you got fired. <laughs> and
1: cool. the good news was, I got a package. I had a thirteen-month package, so I, so I that just gave like,
0: you a little time. I see. That's great. So that got that got you a little bit of time uh, to to kind of build a book of business on your own. Um, those earlier um, clients that you lined up for yourself, were those direct contacts you already had, people you'd already been working with? Like, how do you get those first few contracts?
1: So it's interesting. The people I thought that would, oh, they hire me, right? They're in my network. They had left my banks, knew, had worked with me, and now they're in all these other banks, right? Merger Mania. So I knew people in all these different organizations. Um, no, none of them showed up. And it was funny because I, I met someone I'm opening a business. What the hell do I, what the heck do I know about opening a business? So, um, I uh, some one of my colleagues said you need to meet, and she introduced me to this other woman who had been in business about ten years already. She was lovely. We're still friends thirty years later. Um, Helped me figure out how to do a proposal and all of that kind of stuff. And then she introduced me to someone who had the pulse on banks, and she just started introducing me. She liked me. Um, Started introducing me, and that's how I got my first client. And then after that, it was just referral based people, you know, you get the word out. It's a small industry. Um, Word got out. I was moving the needle. They were making money. I was helping them create cultures. You know, it's all about the money, right? If you can help bring the money in, Um, especially sales. That's their job. They were leaving money on the table. Now they're making more money. They're filling their buckets, all of those things. When I say buckets, they're doing their lending. They're doing their deposits. Um, They were meeting all those goals. Other organizations started hearing about it. and, And then it was just referral generation from there.
0: So this person seems so influential in your early success. Did you tap into a community of entrepreneurs as you were starting this? Or how did you stumble onto this one person who seemed to open all these doors for you?
1: She just was a friend of a friend, literally a friend of a friend. And you let
0: your network know what you were trying to do. And that connection happened because you didn't just stay in your basement (laughs) like maniacally being like, okay, I'm going to do this now. I'm going to do this now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I was always think about it in sales, you have to network. So I had always been networking. So as you know, I left the bank, I just let my, as I was networking saying, Hey, listen, this is what I'm doing. I'd love the opportunity to talk to someone. I'm not pushy and everybody knew that. Like, I'm not the one, like the story you started with where the person was kind of in your face. Um, with the sales piece, that's horrifying to me. So everybody knew that I'm, um, I have a very soft approach. If it's not a good fit, it's cool. I'll follow up with you. You never know. You know, one client, Robbie, I followed up with them for five years. They weren't ready for me, and I knew that. So for I fi- never asked for the business; just followed up, got to know them, knew their birthdays, knew their kids' birthdays. He'd become friends with people that way. And then in the fifth year, they they finally hired me. I was with them for 15 years, and they they actually hit the number one bank in New Jersey in 2018 with my help. I don't take full credit, but I helped get them there. So again, it's just it's, and the follow up is critical but you have to do it in a non-pushy, aggressive way. You have to do it really coming from this place of, of how can I serve? How can I help? What information do you need? You build that know, like trust, and then they hire you. It's a process. It's all a process, right?
0: Yeah, I think it's hard for you probably to remember back to what it was like that first year because you've, you've had so much success now, but you had you do 13 months of a runway to figure out how to make this sustainable as a business. You, you thought you were going to have sort of easy i don't know connections yeah like you said you always people to work with they're all over the industry those doors should be opening it wasn't happening immediately for a variety of reasons and then you finally have this breakthrough moment and then after that you knew what to do you you know i think the follow-up i want to actually i want to underscore that you just said the follow-up being so key because um my background is fundraising so my my work in sales is actually very much influenced by my experience working with donors because you can't well if you pushed a donor to make a large gift, if you like, you know, put the squeeze on them to get them to make a large gift out of, I don't know, guilt or something, they might make it, but they'll never give you a gift again. Like you've not built a relationship. And that's not helpful to an organization. So I approach sales with that same mindset. Like, how do I guide them to the best decision? So they'll either work with me or if it's not timing's not right, they'll refer me, they'll feel good about it, we'll stay friends. Eventually, something good will come from this. So I'm curious, like, how do you think about the follow-up? Because a lot of times people don't know, like, I don't know, like it's how often and, and like how, how not to be too in people's faces. And you said five years of following up with someone in a gentle way, you needed the business. I mean, like, you know, that was important to you. How do you not lead out of like, I don't know, like the sales important. I, I think sometimes people get a little too anxious. And that shows <laughs> it's more about them than it is about the, the possible way they're helping a client.
1: You know, it's funny. So here's my answer to that. So I followed up for five years, but I had I, I had other clients. I was making a, a very good living, right? But this client, they were big. And I thought, they're going to hire me eventually. So I was just very, sales to me is patience. There's an element of patience And when I tell you 15 years, I made millions of dollars from them. They made bazillion dollars from me, right? To become the number one bank in New Jersey. So that exchange of energy, I just had to wait for it till they caught up to me. Um, And it was funny because the vendors who they had bought from, right, who they had used for the five years were probably double what my pricing was. And they got zero return on their investment. Isn't that ironic? Once they realized, because they couldn't change behavior, they were the wrong fit for their culture. They actually had no culture. So I started with ground zero almost and said, whoa, 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 you're you're trying to be over there. Your people aren't ready for that. You don't have the technology to support. I gave them the reasons why. I said, logically, this is where you need to support. And finally, when the executive, after that five years, had kind of known me. And as soon as I said that, I go, why, can't, why aren't we building from what you already have that's working and build from there versus me coming in and saying, oh, no, you're doing it all wrong. You got to do it my way because my way is the right way. I, that's not how I roll. I customize when I go into my clients, figure out exactly where are you, where do you want to go? And then let's, let's plan that. I, I, can't, I can't come in and say, you know, catch up to me. I have to know where they are and meet them where they are. So, just really interesting. Now, the follow up. Let me go back. So, I just wanted to comment on that. It was well worth the five year follow up. Let me tell you, right. Um, so, now take a step back. What is gracious follow up? I'm going to say. So, I my follow up is called CPR because you got to keep it. I'm doing. I'm doing the. Um, uh, what do you call it? when that someone's dying? They put the paddles on them. How do you keep them? How do you give your clients CPR? Consistent, persistent, and here's the big word, Robbie, respectful follow-up. So you're not following up with someone every day. What I do at the end of a call, if they're not ready to buy, I don't ask for the business. I will even say to them, you're not ready for me. I know know you need me. You're just not ready yet because you have all these other balls in the air. I'm just going to add to your overwhelm. What is the point of that? I'm not going to help you move the needle. You're just not ready. So let's talk two months from now. Give me, get me a pulse of what's going on with you. Sometimes I say to them, you know what? You're finishing up with your marketing person, making that up, right? Let's talk two weeks, three weeks. You tell me what works. And sometimes they say, oh, no, no, call me next week. Or sometimes they'll say, you know what? Give me a month. I go, okay, cool. Uh, you know, is this, and then let's schedule it. But you tell me what day. And then I put it in my notes to follow up on that specific day. So when you're, when you're in engagement with someone figure out what that follow up looks like. That's whole whole different ball game for email sequencing, but that's how I do it when I'm live when I have somebody who's interested.
0: Okay, that last piece, I want to just I want to make sure people heard this because um it's so it's so key, and I actually did this with a client once and he complimented me cuz he also did sales. <laughs> so, I particularly sometimes you are getting on a call and everyone knows it's a sales call. Like they know they're coming in they're going to hear your, you know what it is that you can do to help them and they're either going to say yes or no sometimes and more often actually for the work i do with coaches we're having a catch-up call a get to know you call a pick your brain call a coffee chat and it becomes very apparent to me that i could help them in a bigger way than just like list a bunch of free advice and i know how to shift the conversation to that but then when i actually get to the offer I don't want them to buy in that second because they didn't come in having any idea they were going to look for this. Like I want them to take a step back and commit to the idea of this because their their success is based on that commitment. So I will say, hey, you didn't expect this. You now have all the information. I don't like to force people into like buy or, buy or not, you know. It's how much time do you need to check in with your schedule, your partner, you know, close this other stuff down. You, you want me to put it back in two days, a week to right, like exactly what you just said. And then I actually book a time with them right then. Exactly. And then the most important part, I have to actually contact them when it's time. Exactly. And the same thing right. with fundraising. So many people would get the gift and then get the commitment, I should say, of a gift, the pledge and not get the actual check because they wouldn't follow up. So like, it's not money in the bank until it's money in the bank. Like it's, it's our job to continue to follow up. So that just give, and people think that it's almost um, like you're handling them, but they feel held, not handled. They feel like, Oh, you're giving me space to think about this or giving me space to close up this other thing happening in my business. You're giving me space to talk to my spouse. Cause I've also seen $20,000 sales be like, you have to, you have to commit right now. Like that person did not come into a call expecting a $20,000 ask. They got to talk to a partner, a business partner. They got to check their budget, their cash flow, You know, figure out where they're going to get the money from. It's just a big thing. And so I love what you're saying. It's like commit right then to, to move the process forward. Don't say, I'll give you a call at some point, blank, not without any kind of information about when, And then actually schedule it so i so helpful i really want to um ask you because you're so good at this stuff you said a moment ago it's not the same for email so now i'm curious what is your email sort of follow-up i call it polite persistence um you you know i love your cpr uh consistent (laughs) polite and respectful wait was it consistent consistent
1: persistent and then respectful yeah
0: Yeah. i i say polite persistence and when i do my follow-up nudge emails i say you know the last one i say listen I know that polite, persistent follow-up is a key to success, which is why I want to check in one more time. <laughs> yep. You know, I sort of acknowledge it. So tell me, what, how do you think about reaching out? Let's say you message someone on a Monday. What's the follow-up sequence look like?
1: So depending if they're just in my email, you know, they joined through one of my lead magnets, then they get into my email sequence, you know, it is what it is. And then you offer, you know, a free workshop. And then at the end of the workshop, you have either your offer or whatever, right? So um, that, that there's the sequence, right? I've marketing people who handle that because I am not a marketing person and and everybody listening, marketing and sales, please are two different things. I am not a marketing genius. I am horrible at marketing. Thus, I hire people, right? So stay in your lane, know your know your jam, know what you're doing, um, and bring in the right people. So with the email sequencing, I have to trust. I understand the process. I have to trust that piece of it because it's all digital, right? Here's the thing, though. And I got this the other day. Somebody said, oh, I, one of the links I couldn't figure out, blah, blah, blah. It was a personal email to me. I responded. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me, let me get right on that. I'll, I'll check it out. In the meantime, were you able to take she had tried to get into this link? Here's the link again for you, right? She just emailed me again today. We we were starting a conversation. So you don't know where it's gonna go. But if you get an email or you get a request, you shouldn't have your VA respond. You should respond. I mean, it's your business, it should be your voice you should be the one responding, building that relationship because you're passionate about what what you do, what your offer is. No one else can speak to it as you don't. People say to me, well, don't you have sales reps for you? No, nobody can do it as good as me. Why would I hand that piece off? I could hand off all the admin stuff, right? I'm not going to hand off the sales where it's my well, my bread and butter. And people are hiring me, not my staff, right? So know where, what you're good at. Stay in your lane and lean into that. Hire people for other stuff. Did I answer your question, Robbie? I feel like with so the...
0: Let, ha, so I, I, what I get sometimes, I love everything you just said, but I want to go back to the question a little bit because I feel a bit like Charlie Rose right now. Let's go back to the question. <laughs> so, um, I have clients who, um, even if it's just a schedule a research call, like it's not a sales call, mm-hmm. they have so much angst built up in their head about bothering people, or reaching out to people, mm-hmm. you know, interrupting, whatever. That they'll send the message out, and then I'm like, and you've got to plan when you're gonna fo-. like, what is the timing of your follow up? Like, if someone doesn't respond. How often are you going to reach out via email and when are you going to switch to some other mode? And their mind is like, but I hit send, I'm done. <laughs> I'm like, no. Exactly. So how do you coach people to to help them follow up when, when they're doing email communication? So,
1: okay. And that, so I apologize. I misunderstood the question. I thought you were talking about like the digital email stuff. So here's the deal. If I send it, let's say I sent an email to you. We had a discussion. I'm following up. We met at a networking thing, whatever. Right. I'm saying, Hey, listen, here's my calendar link. I really think we have something. Um, I'd love to see how we could support each other. You don't respond, um, we're busy. <laughs> People are busy. And you know, I don't know how many emails you get a day, but my inbox explodes. So it falls down to the bottom of the email chain, right? So what I do is I wait three days maybe four, depending on how connected I was with the person or how comfortable I felt they were with me. I'll wait three or four days and then I'll forward the email. And I this is how, this is exactly what I would put. Hey, hey Robbie, hope all is well. Um, I do not want to be a pest. I am just following up from my last email. Um, I really think that we have something and that I would love to see how we could support each other. No pressure. Um, again, here's my calendar link. If you're interested, I'd love to jump on. If they don't respond again, I'll do it maybe the following week. Maybe I'll wait five days and then I'll follow up and say, listen, I know this is my third email. I do not want to be a pest. I know everyone is so, so busy. Um, If you're interested, please reach out to me. This will be my last email. Again, I don't want to be a pest. Ironically, people respond. No, keep follow. This would be the email back. Please keep following up with me. I've been so busy, and you're on my list. I just haven't gotten there yet. And then I respond. I- I- then now you tell me when. When would be convenient? Because I again, do-, do you need another in- email in your inbox? You tell me two weeks, three weeks, a month. Guide me, and I will put you in my follow up. And then they'll say, Can you give me a month? Can you give me two weeks? Oh no, you know what? What do you have open this week? And then I'll tell them what I have open or I'll send my calendar link. But it's that gentle, respectful. For me, it's always about respectful, not you should be meeting with me. Aren't I the most important thing on your list? No, I'm not. I know I'm not.
0: I love this. I I too have a sort of three times in two weeks kind of framework. (laughs) And I think it's very similar to you. It's like three, four days after that first one. And then, you know, sometime in the middle of the following week, like, um, it'd be like, you know, like a Monday, Thursday, Wednesday kind yeah, of thing. Exactly. Exactly. And, and if I, if, so I always think, you know, people are sometimes just bad at email, um, overwhelmed by their own inbox. Email is just not their way of communicating. I had one friend. The only way to get a response was a direct, uh, direct message him on Twitter. Any, I had like two phone numbers for him, three email, if we, but it cut through the noise for him. That was how he knew it was people he was following and he actually cared about (laughs) Smart. So you have to know the medium. And then I also think, well, how did I meet someone? Maybe I didn't get on their stage enough. You know, like, you know, they didn't remember me as much as I think they'll remember me. So maybe I have to go, I have to cross paths with them again online or in person to make a better impression to, to add value. So I, uh, but I think what you're saying is right. Like we own this process. And I love that last email where you're like, I don't mean to be a pest. And in, in fact, they're then going to write you back to like, let you know, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> like we will, I want to do this. Um, you know, a lot of times when we become a to do item for somebody and they don't get to the point of doing it, it just makes them feel bad. And that's the feeling they have about us. Even though all we did was put out a, Hey, we should connect, you know, or, Hey, here's the thing you can check out. And if, If we help them follow through, like I had to work on getting reviews for my book and I had to help people follow through on their best intentions. And if they did, they felt great. And if it was a to-do item, then they're not going to feel great because they're not going to get to it. Uh, I want to ask you specifically about networking because it's clearly one of your skill sets. You have your inner circle of your network, um, the people that you know you're going to see. And then there's the sort of second and third layer or tiers out. The people that uh, you might see, you know, once a year at a conference or you work with them five years ago, but you haven't had a reason to since. And I should say, these are people you liked. <laughs> they liked you. Correct. These are people you're friendly with. Yep. How do you think about nurturing and sustaining those kinds of looser connections? Any, any habits, philosophies, or practices?
1: My people are on LinkedIn. Um, not big on Facebook. I'm there, but it's, it's just not where my clients are, are playing. So LinkedIn is big for me. So every day this, and it takes five minutes. I mean, this is the habit, right? You have to create a habit for it to get any kind of legs and momentum. So every day I look whose birthday and who has changed jobs and I will reach out and I will comment on that. The other thing uh, there on LinkedIn, there's a little bell so if there's people that I really like, I like the way they write. I I, I find their their uh, content interesting. I'll follow them, and then I th- sometimes I think I think down the road that we could do business together. I think they're in my you know banking whatever it might be. So I follow them first, and then I write thoughtful comments. You know, oh my gosh, I had the same experience. Um, I had a client that, you know, whatever it is, I found this article, I think you'll really find it interesting. So just sharing back and forth. I am really good at that. So I leverage my LinkedIn contacts and inevitably it turns into business or people will reach out to me and say, your comments are always, so." one guy did this a couple of weeks ago. He goes, can I tell you, Um, thank you for congratulating me on on my um, new position Uh, He said, do you know, everybody was automated. They hit the automation. Congratulations, congratulations, congratulations. You're the only one who actually wrote a note. And and I said, congratulations. I hope you enjoy. I wrote something like, I hope you enjoy your new adventure. What are you looking forward to the most with your new position? And he responded and said, no one else send me a message. That was really thoughtful. I so appreciate you. How it took me a nanosecond, Bobby, a nanosecond. It, Robbie, it, it was easy peasy. And that I do every day.
0: That sentence, I want you to repeat that. So you say, congratulations, you're in your new position. What are you most looking forward to in your new role? Yeah. And that's so simple. Yeah. One of the things I try to do uh, is if I get sort of notified about a birthday or a job change, one, I don't comment on threads on Facebook or on LinkedIn. If my mother only wished me happy birthday on my Facebook wall. I would think she forgot about me because it gets flooded. So I always think, well, what is the most personal touch I can do, but quickly. So if it's Facebook, it might be a Facebook PM, LinkedIn, LinkedIn PM. If I have their phone number, why not text them? Same message, but in a, but just shift the mode of the mode of communication to slightly more personal and then do more than just congrats on your new role, which is the automated thing that you automated or HBD, which is what people write on Facebook. <laughs> and I'm like, you couldn't even write out the words. <laughs> um, I, I really yeah. love this. Like it's simple stuff, but it gets you noticed. And then the idea that you follow people, well, what you're mentioning earlier is that if people are looking at a LinkedIn profile, they go to you or I our, our LinkedIn profiles In the top, right. There's a little bell. If you click on it, it'll fill into solid. And then you're, you're going to get notified for every post that they do. So you'll be you'll be sort of following the activity for that one person until you uncheck that. And that can be very handy if you're trying to get a sense of what a person cares about. You wanna make sure to comment on the stuff they're doing. I like to, if it's really relevant for my crowd, I'll reshare someone's content. Exactly. Um, you know, if they write something for HBR and then I'm like, oh, my people would love that. I'll share it thoughtfully. I'll like write a synopsis. So it's it's not that you do everything all the time, but it sounds like you've committed a, a habit what time of day are you taking this action since you have created a habit? Is, is it a specific time of day? Is it when you have five minutes in between things? Like, how do you know it's going to happen?
1: First thing in the morning. After first that, thing. your day blows up. So you never, oh, I'll do it later. You never do it later. So every morning, that is the first thing. I, even before I do, I check emails or anything like that. That is the first thing that, I, I mean, I check my schedule for the day so I can plan in my head where I need to be or whatever. But that's LinkedIn is my go-to.
0: Yeah. And that way throughout the day, you're also going to then get responses and all that. Yeah. I love this. And what, what kind of content are you putting out when you're thinking about this? Because Because since LinkedIn is your playground, do you, do you put out specific content to attract people as well? Is that part of your sort of plan?
1: Yeah. So I belong to a couple of pods on LinkedIn. It helps with the algorithm to get your views up So I have, I belong to two very thoughtful groups. So be selective. That's my other thing. Be very selective because you want to be with other thought leaders because that's who's reading their stuff and who will find you. So that's number one tip. Second thing I do, and I'll just share really quick an article I wrote. Um, My husband and I had went to see the new Spider-Man early in the year, and we love Marvel in this house. And at the end, it's like a secret society, right? We all sit there and wait for, we wait for the credits. And then of course the uh, trailer comes out. So my husband and I, that night I was in bed and I'm thinking, oh, this is a great article. How do you create that Marvel? I call it the Marvel effect, right? Where people anticipate and know like a secret community, what Connie Whitman is going to deliver, what Robbie is going to deliver. And then all of a sudden they expect that from you going forward. Now you're going to laugh. So. People responded, you're the only crazy person that would connect Marvel to what is your secret sauce? What is your connection? How can you serve your clients so that you always deliver that expected result, right? That's the expectation of your client. How do you deliver that over and over again? So people were like, Marvel and customer service, only you would make that connection. But see, it's creative. But to me, that moved me to think that's a great example of building the relationship and everybody relates to it. Cause everybody knows Marvel, you know, to wait, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, yeah. that's just the kind of content I write.
0: I love it because storytelling relating to things that other people like universal experiences tapping into that requires less explanation because we all like the Marvel effect. <laughs> we, we know that moment. Um, or sometimes you, you like, you have to actually, you're sitting and waiting and waiting so long that we would look online to be like, is there something? <laughs> <laughs> Cause you're like, I'll say it because I think there's something, uh, my but I'm waiting a few minutes. I love that. The idea of creating, creating that, um, the anticipation with your community, what other, uh, you talk about your LinkedIn habit. Is there anything else? Like, do you use a CRM, a spreadsheet, a second index cards? Like, how do you keep track of your most important people?
1: So, you know, I'm old school. I know Robbie. So we have all this automation and my VA really keeps me in line She, I tell her, corral me, you know, tell me tell me what's next. But I am really good. The email sequence and all of that, she's got to handle all that back end stuff. I have zero desire. I'd rather I say I'd rather have pins in my eyes. Not my not my zone of genius. However, when I am in networking or I'm talking to people, or like I have a speaking event um, at a conference I was invited to in Texas in September, I will. Get digital cards. I, when I get back, I take about a half a day and I organize who am I going to, I prioritize who am I going to follow up with? How am I going to follow up? Is there an article? And I write notes if they give me a physical card, send this link, introduce them to Robbie. So I'm always, and that's another uh, good habit for everyone listening. When I speak with people, it's really kind of ironic because. I have a big network. Robbie, you have a big network. So I talk to Robbie and I go, Robbie, you know who you need to meet? When we hang up, I'll do an intro email. So when at my conferences I'm at networking, I'll listen and I'll say out loud, even if there's 50 people in the Zoom room, perhaps, I'll say, Hey, Robbie, you know, you mentioned you're trying to get on more stages. I'm gonna hook you up with my my friend Tony. Um, she has a summit coming up. I think you'd be great for it. People are like, Oh, that's but everybody heard that. I'm giving first, whether they do business with me or not, it's irrelevant to me. I'm going to help you because you know what? I pay it forward. It comes back to me in another way in spades. So that's another habit that I have that I'm always sharing uh, constantly. But I do my follow-up. It goes into my digital calendar. And then I do follow up that way for myself.
0: So there's a couple of things that I um, have talked about and written about. Um, When one uh, got into um, lifehacker.com. write your follow-up email draft before going to the event. Oh, yeah. Get your head on straight about who you're trying to meet. What is it you want to be known for? What what do you want to be sharing? So you go in with a clear sense. And then I also teach people, I love, you know, know, particularly because we're in Western culture, we can write on cards, not that's respectful, but I turn the corner of the cards that I have higher priority uh, followed for. So when I drop them on the table, they stand out great idea (laughs) i'll have because if you're a person who like you know sometimes you're in a room and everyone starts passing around cards like i've been to chamber events where like everyone whoever's speaking like the cards you get handed around the table and i'm always this is such a random thing because i almost wish we would just deal out the cards ahead of time so i would have the card while the person was speaking instead by the time that card gets to me that person spoke four minutes ago and i'm like so, but but how do I know? I want to keep track of the two or three that were actually important, not the fifteen people who presented. So, um, so yeah, that's just like a simple thing. If you can't keep keep them in a separate pocket or something, because women's clothing doesn't always have lots of pockets, uh, turning the corner has been simple. So, uh, you, you can and I, I give, go can for I give it. one
1: more quick hack. Yeah, when you go to a physical networking event, also, um, what I will do is in advance, I know who I want to speak with. So I always go directly to whoever the chairperson is, who's ever setting it up. Cause they invited me, they know me. And I, like, I would go to Robbie and say, hey, Robbie, listen, I'm really looking. I want to meet these three people. I think that I can help them. I think that they might be able to help me can, if I can't find them, would you be willing to do an intro for me? And they'd say, yes, yes. So again, what happens is as soon as the person is though, where's Connie, where's Connie? <laughs> Connie, you need to meet Robbie. You said you wanted to meet Robbie. Hey, you guys. And bam, it, you giggle and now you're having this just lovely conversation and it's engaging. And now you are introduced by the chair of the event. So another little tip.
0: All that advanced planning is what makes the in-person or even an online event more successful. Absolutely. You're not just blindly walking in hoping to bump into someone while eating like the artichoke dip, which could happen. You never know. But <laughs> you're really making your luck by doing the advanced research, by deciding who you want to do, by going up to the chair person and saying, here's what I'm looking to do. Here's what I, how I can help. And then they're making introductions for you. And they may even think of other people. Now that they know the kind of people you're looking for, they might think of someone else that you wouldn't have known to look for. So you're making, you're making it work for you as opposed to just sort of showing up, taking up space and then leaving thinking, well, that didn't work, which I think some people do.
1: And one last thing, if you do that pre-planning, you can go on their LinkedIn profile. You can read some of their articles. And then, so now I, I, let's say I bump into Robbie at the artichoke table and I say, oh, you were on my list to meet today. And people go, I was? I go, yes, I read your article and I knew you were going to be here today. And I just wanted to compliment it. You know, it made so much sense. I actually shared it with one of my clients or whatever. And all of a sudden they're, they feel so honored and excited that you were excited. You were on my list to meet today. Oh my goodness. I can't believe I'm bumping into you they feel like I was on your list. It just, and they were, they were on your list. You're being very sincere, but you're giving them the reason why they were on your list too, which shows that you are interested. You investigated them a little bit. You put the time in. That's who I want to do business with. I don't want to do people with who are you. Wait, what can you do for me? You're not, on, you are on my ignore list. If you approach me that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The whole, um, what do you do? Get so tired. So, quickly.
1: Ugh. Stop asking Um, that
0: question. Stop asking that question. (laughs) Um, So as we're wrapping up here, uh, let's say it's a year from now. I I know you and I are going to stay in touch, but let's say a year from now, I'm like, Connie, I think it was about a year ago that I interviewed my show. Uh, What are we going to be celebrating at that time? What what are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? What are we going to be toasting to?
1: So, I'm uh, sponsoring a book actually. The team who got my ESP, my Easy Sales Process book, to number one uh, international bestseller, um, they approached me because I know so many people and they've done a couple of anthologies and I brought like 20 (laughs) authors to them. And they said, you know, you should sponsor a book because then you can handpick the authors and create for me, you're going to laugh. It's a mini ecosystem for networking. And of course, Robbie, it, I, I cry every time this happens because I am so touched and honored. So some of the people that I've invited, they're like, oh, my gosh, yes, if you're sponsoring and I'm in. And they say, you know what I'd love to do for the other authors? So I have one of my friends. She does digital um, animation. She's doing digital business cards for everyone. Gratis because she's part of my community. And then yesterday I spoke with a colleague, actually a client of mine. She's going to be part of the book. She goes, Con, can I offer some of my free marketing classes? I have these seven series that I think everybody would benefit as authors to help them market the book. What do you think? I was like, Again, you know, it's so funny when people are generous with you and I'm generous, but when it comes back to you, I'm still, I always pause and feel so honored and humbled. It's just such a great feeling. And I was like, I would love that. Thank you so much for sharing the love with me. So again, we're building this mini ecosystem a year from now. We're all going to make just so much money through love, care, and respect and supporting each other in this just really great, wholesome, authentic way. It, does I it get any it. better than that, Robbie?
0: It can. I, I can't get any better than that. I can't wait to celebrate all that with you. Congratulations on the concept. Thank uh, you. I, how can people find you and follow your work?
1: Uh, go to my website, uh, changingthesalesgame.com. They can always email me because I do respond to my emails, peeps. So you can email me at Connie at And I'd hap- happily you know, jump on a call if you have any questions or anything. I'm, I'm, I'm available.
0: Brilliant. We'll put those links in the show notes at OnTheSchmooze.com. Connie, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation.
1: I am honored. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Thanks, Rob. I
0: hope you enjoyed my conversation with Connie. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at OnTheSchmooze.com. Look for episode 294. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources for today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe or follow for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional, who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E.